It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Well, it's four days before Christmas and there's still a hell of a lot going on. So much for the traditional holiday slowdown, which I think has become a thing of the past. Not in the digital age, not in the Twitter age. There, uh, Anybody can make news on any day at any time. And let's kick it off here with a apparently pretty gossipy book, uh, the contents of which have been leaked to Politico's playbook. Now, remember, uh, must have been a couple of weeks ago, I talked to you on podcast about a story that said that while Trump books, mostly anti-Trump books, were just flying off the shelves and still selling zillions of copies, uh, there wasn't much of a market for Joe Biden books, uh, books about the Biden administration. There were a few in the works. Um, you know, presidency was considered low-key and boring. Um, but here's one, and this is how the playbook excerpt starts. In the first months of his presidency, Joe Biden vented his frustration about Vice President Kamala Harris telling a friend that she was a work in progress. Uh, the book is called The Fight of His Life. Word got back to the president that uh, her husband, Douglas Emhoff, had been complaining about Harris's policy portfolio, which he felt was hurting her politically. Biden was annoyed, says author Chris Whipple, who's written a lot about presidencies, and who obtained exclusive access to Biden administration officials while writing the book. So it's almost like an authorized book. More on that in a second. Um, Biden says, thinking he hadn't asked Harris to do anything he hadn't done as vice president, and she had begged him for the voting rights assignment. Biden was not alone. A senior White House official vented at Harris's inner circle didn't serve her well in the presidential campaign, and they are ill serving her now. Now, Chris Whipple uh, gave an interview to Politico in which he said, I think Biden's presidency is the most consequential of my lifetime. His legislative record is comparable to LBJ's. Sounds like it will be a fairly favorable book, although he makes the point that Biden had great difficulties in his first year, but turned things around in his second year. There were extensive interviews with Ron Klain, the chief of staff, uh, who is credited with patient, nose to the grindstone stewardship, and quotes from others. Uh, although Whipple says, look, you know, this is a White House that's very wary of the press. Uh, his interviews were done on deep background with the senior staff and quote approval. That means you got to call the person back and say, look, I looked over my notes and I want to use this quote and this quote on the record. And that source can say, well, you can't use that quote. You can use the other one and you negotiate. Not a great way to do business, but sometimes it's the only way to get a story, particularly when you're talking about the top levels of a White House. Um, Biden and Harris only agreed to answer questions submitted in writing. So, I would, you know, they've had time to think about it, consult with aides. Not as good, obviously, as some kind of real-time interview, but uh, those were the conditions. The book shows that Ron Klain got angry at critiques from Leon Panetta, former chief of staff to Bill Clinton, also CIA director and defense secretary under Barack Obama. He was often interviewed on television. Uh, Panetta compared the exit from Afghanistan, there's a lot in the book apparently about that, to Jack Kennedy's handling of the Bay of Pigs. Um, and Whipple 
Oh, Panetta told Whipple he was wondering whether people were telling the president what he wanted to hear. Klain shot back, Joe Biden didn't pay a trillion dollars to these people to be trained to be the army. He wasn't out there for years, as Leon was, that we had built a viable fighting force. Leon favored the war. Leon oversaw the training of the Afghan army. In other words, and now he comes back as a TV pundit and criticizes him. Um, So there was an election day story uh, in the West Wing playbook that included administration officials critiquing Klain's performance. On 11, excuse me, on 116 in the morning on election night, as it became clear that Biden would defy the pundits again, Klain sent one of the reporters an email. Maybe we don't suck as much as people thought. Like maybe the nattering negatives who dumped to Politico were wrong. Well, it's probably good for his mental health to be uh, doing things like that. Vladimir Zelensky is in the House, Mr. Speaker. Uh, he is in Washington today. He will address the House of Representatives tonight. Um, this is clearly an effort by Times Person of the Year, the leader of Ukraine, uh, to try to shore up relations with both Capitol Hill and the White House with uh, news that President Biden plans to give Ukraine or grant to Ukraine one Patriot missile battery, which can fire multiple rockets, all of which have multiple warheads, to try to shoot down incoming Russian missiles. It's the most effective one we have. Uh, Zelensky has been trying to get it for months. Russia has warned that this is an escalation. But on the other hand, Russia's strategy now is to bomb the Ukraine into darkness. You know, they're trying to hit more and more energy plants, and so there will be a lot of cold houses. And this could last the whole winter. The, the ground fighting itself is kind of on pause or at a very low level because of the cold weather. So here's a liberal Tom Nichols in Atlanta saying, seems apparent Zelensky decided to make the trip to Washington because he's worried about the imminent GOP takeover of the House. Takeover, and I have no doubt that that's a factor. He should be. Many of the Republicans who are about to become members of the majority have descended into reflective mulishness about Ukraine, opposing whatever it is that Biden wants solely as a matter of partisan showboating. Goaded on by the trolls and contrarians in the conservative press, people who profess to care little what was happening in Ukraine a year ago have pledged to exercise tight oversight of U.S. aid to Ukraine, as though the largest war in Europe since World War II is an over-budget um, consulting operation in Virginia. Ouch. Uh, Zelensky is poised to move from being a beleaguered regional leader, sending videos from a bunker, to taking a place well-deserved and overdue on the world stage as a statesman more more than equal to the panicking KGB officer who is trying to kill him. The real question is whether Zelensky can say anything that will matter to a Republican party. Uh, Look, I think he's painting the Republican Party with a very broad brush. There are certainly plenty of Republicans who understand the importance of uh, even, the you know, that's costing the U.S. Treasury a lot of money, but there is a global Western alliance here to make sure that Putin doesn't ultimately achieve his aim of conquering Ukraine. GOP grandstanding for the base could create more danger for Ukraine by encouraging Putin to believe America's commitment to freedom will wane over time. And I hope that doesn't happen. 
couple other items here. You know, Bob Iger back at Disney, and now uh, a leading analyst is saying that Disney, Disney Ape slash ABC, should spin off ESPN next year. Now, this analyst actually is very bullish on Disney. He's got a aggressive price target. Um, and analysts can move the market, uh, particularly analysts who have been around a while and follow these uh, uh, companies. Uh, Disney stock down 45% so far this year from last year. Ouch. Um, and basically he says, look, ESPN is not part of the core franchise here. Uh, franchise of intellectual property. And it would be a pure play company. The analyst works for Wells Fargo. And on a slightly lighter note, actress Kate Winslet is calling out media critics who labeled her as fat after that infamous Titanic door scene. And also, apparently, I was too fat. Isn't it awful? Why are they so mean? They were so mean. I wasn't even effing fat. Uh, She says, in retrospect, years ago, she would have said to these journalists, don't you dare treat me like that. I'm a young woman. My body's changing. I'm figuring it out. I'm deeply insecure. I'm terrified. Don't make this any harder than it already is. That's bullying, you know, and actually borderline abusive, I would say. She said, those who comment on the appearances of actresses are irresponsible. It's an irresponsible thing to do. And it feeds directly into young women aspiring to ideas of perfection that don't exist. Aspiring to have bodies that, you know, the press are saying that we have. Well, that's, I think, the most salient point. I mean, Kate Winslet is a very successful actress. And, you know, if she's out there, people are going to critique her looks. Her looks are part of what has enabled her to succeed. But in terms of the message being sent to lots of other women who aren't, stars or starlets or whatever. All right, story number one, Donald Trump's taxes, which House Committee voted late yesterday to make public. No surprise there. The Democrats have the majority for about another 10 days, and this is always what they wanted to do. We've learned, says the Washington Post, that the IRS failed to audit Trump for the first two years in office despite a program that makes that mandatory for sitting presidents. Now, how do you think something like that's happened? Um, John Koskinen, former IRS commissioner who served during the first year of Trump's presidency, said in an interview he wasn't involved in the process, didn't know why the audits didn't occur. You ran the bleeping agency. It does seem to me to be a legitimate question. If the IRS had the responsibility and wasn't auditing, what's the explanation? Yeah, you think the head of the IRS would know. Starting in 2018, the IRS was run by another Trump appointee, or by a Trump appointee, Charles Reddick, who just left the job last month. In 2016, during the campaign, Reddick uh, wrote a column for Forbes defending Trump's decision not to release his taxes as a candidate. No official response from the IRS. Um, now, it's true. I mean, Trump, was the first major presidential candidate in 40 years. This is going back to Richard Nixon when his tax returns were made public and Watergate, and he didn't do it. And all this has dragged on and on and on. Now, the New York Times has a good analysis here. Uh, there's no, pro- we're not going to see the raw taxes probably till I would guess next week because there's a lot of stuff that has to be redacted. Um, but there was enough put out that the New York Times was able to do this analysis. It says in his first three years, Trump paid a total of $1.1 million 
in federal income taxes. And then in 2020, his last year in office, he paid zero. Um, so I think a lot of people are going to read that and say, you know, Donald Trump, rich guy, big company, worldwide branded businessman. How could he pay zero? Well, we already knew from earlier New York Times reporting that there were some years in which he paid zero. Now, I'm not defending that, but it, that doesn't make it illegal. In the real estate business, there are massive deductions written into the tax code, depreciation and pulling losses forward. Uh, that does enable you, um, not a small businessman, but somebody with a sizable company, to basically eliminate most or all of your tax liability. It's a scandal, but it's perfectly legal. So it goes back and forth. Um, in the first year as a presidency, 2017, that's the year when he paid, I think it was $750 in federal income tax, reporting about $13 million in losses. So if he lost a lot of money, that's how you can do it. Now, in the next two years of his presidency, 2018, 2019, uh, his income went up, and he did pay taxes. Uh, suddenly, he got a burst of income because he sold off a bunch of properties or investments at gain of $22 million. And um, he paid uh, 4.4, 4, excuse me, his, he reported, this is in 2018, $4.4 million in income, paid 133000 in taxes. Similar in 2019, not necessarily the same numbers, but then, you know, COVID, recession um, in 2020, reported losses of $60 million. That's actually the total for his presidency. He actually was able to get back about $5.5 million over that time because he made, because he had uh, lost a significant amount of money. So here's an example. Trump owns an estate in Westchester County, New York, and for years it was classified as a personal residence. The tax records obtained in 2020 by the time show that in 2014, he reclassified the estate as an investment property. Since then, he's written off over $2 million in property taxes as a business expense, even as the law allows individuals to write off only $10,000 in property taxes a year. The committee says the IRS was looking into that particular maneuver. Um, so media sniping here over all this. Mark Levin, the Fox News host and uh, popular radio host, writing on Twitter, Matt Drudge, propagandist for the police state, because uh, Drudge had a banner headline that said, Next, tax returns, with a picture of Trump looking rather downcast. Sorry for that little ruckus. Um, and the headline linked to a story from The Hill, which said, after years of fighting for it, Democrats may release Trump tax return information. He also had a headline that said, release of Trump financials could herald new era for taxpayer privacy. So this pissed off Mark Levin. There's also a guy who writes for Human Events, who said, whether he sold it or became an overnight liberal, Matt Drudge betrayed his loyal audience. Well, I mean... Drudge has posted a lot of stuff critical of Trump. And look, this is similar to what a lot of people get. Now, maybe Drudge is disillusioned with Donald Trump. But it's also, I mean, what does Drudge do other than the occasional scoop? He basically links to a lot of stuff at various media outlets. So 
So with more and more of the stories about Trump, tax returns, January 6th, committee, stuff, you know, he would be, what is he supposed to do? Just ignore it, just not post it, just censor it because he's on the team. Uh, Drudge wants clicks, and these stories get clicks, and they're in the news. And that's why I'm talking about it now. The Trump tax returns are in the news. It's rather unusual, to say the least, for a House committee to release the tax returns of former president of the United States. And there's also a lot of debate about that. Uh, Speaking of Donald J., the Atlantic has a piece saying that, you know, about Congress making those four criminal referrals to DOJ about Donald Trump's alleged crimes, uh, saying that if the special counsel and, and the Justice Department decide to go ahead with an indictment, they will have to face a formidable defense that Trump's speech on January 6th, no matter how irresponsible or how full of lies about a stolen election, was, after all, a political speech and thus protected by the First Amendment. Prominent legal scholars have rejected that argument, countering the Trump speech in which he urged supporters to march to the Capitol and fight like hell, was sufficiently inflammatory to permit criminal prosecution. But that's too sweeping, says this piece, gives insufficient weight to the First Amendment concerns. Uh, We believe the government can prosecute Trump for his speech, but it must proceed very carefully to avoid risking the criminalization of legitimate political expression. The way to do this is to set the evidentiary bar appropriately high. In cases where a speaker plausibly but ambiguously advocates lawlessness, the government should be required to show that the defendant took additional overt acts beyond the speech that furthered violence. Now, it hadn't occurred to me that there'd be a free speech aspect to this. And I think there's another place in the speech where he says something like, you know, go peacefully. So you can always pull out the snippets to make the points you want to make. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Now, story number two. Kevin McCarthy. You know, there's this whole Christmas tree bill in Congress now, the details of which I will talk about in a second. And Kevin McCarthy has publicly issued a threat to Republicans in the Senate, over whom he obviously has no control. But here's what he said. He says if he, if in fact, becomes Speaker of the House uh, in early January and any senator votes for this so-called omnibus spending bill, he will make sure every bill from a senator who did that is dead on arrival in the House. Now, this follows uh, a bunch of Republican lawmakers signing a letter promising not to uh, actively support any letter from any legislation, I should say, from Republican senators. So even Andy Biggs, who's challenging McCarthy to become speaker, though I don't think he personally has much of a chance himself, uh, signed this letter. Now, let's get to this bill, because this is classic Washington, classic Capitol Hill, and it sucks. There's only one train leaving the station. And it is this bill. Now, the reason there is adding to the usual sort of let's get out of town before the holiday crunch is the fact that if the House and Senate don't agree on a bill by Friday, uh, the United States government will be in default because of debt ceiling issues. So they're trying to cut a deal. And the process of that, and both neither side can deny this, 
the level of spending is being pushed up far beyond what you ordinarily would get even with a rushed end of spending bill. And by the way, the thing about this is like nobody even has time to read it. It's thousands of pages. Yeah, you discover afterwards, oh, look at all these things that people slept in. So here's some of the things this Christmas tree uh, bill would do. One is Ukraine aid, which talked about earlier with the Zelensky visit. Congressional leaders want to give the country $45 billion. That's more than the $37 billion that Joe Biden asked for. On the Republican side, Josh Hawley, senator from Missouri, wants to add into the bill a TikTok ban. Uh, there are already uh, steps being taken. The, already, the Senate has already unanimously passed uh, a bill that would bar TikTok from being used on government devices because of national and security concerns related to China's ownership of the parent company and whether or not um, it is sharing data or doing other things that are problematic. I talked about this a little bit yesterday. So, you know, what does a TikTok ban have to do with a last-minute spending bill to keep the government functioning through September? Nothing. But, you know, everybody's entitled to push their cause, and that's what's happening. There's an extension for telehealth program that would run out of money. There is also, and this is something the Democrats really want, and I don't know if they could have or would have gotten it if it was a standalone bill, the Electoral Count Act which is about the congressional certification of elections. And it would basically explicitly spell out that a vice president of the United States has no authority acting on his or her own to change, to reject electors or in any way change the outcome of the Electoral College. Well, Donald Trump is already uh, sounding off about this, saying uh, the proposed reform to that 1887 law uh, is totally unnecessary. So he says, John Eastman and others were correct in saying the vice president had the right to do what should have been done. Um, so the only reason to change it, if the VP cannot do what they powerfully said he couldn't do, it couldn't be done, why are they making this change? The whole thing is one big scam. All right, I got to wrap my head around that. Uh, and then there's just old-fashioned pork here. You know, uh, uh, the lobster industry in Maine gets a pause on new regulations because the lobster industry is in trouble. Uh, a boost in retirement savings for, for tax advantage accounts like 401ks. Security boost for former speakers. Now, look, obviously, this is aimed at one Nancy Pelosi, given the horrifying attack on her husband, Paul. Uh, the Capitol Police will determine whether to extend protective details for former House speakers for a year after they leave office, and then it could end up being longer than that. One more true social from the former president. He says the FBI and Twitter colluded to elect Joe Biden, quoting Fox's Jesse Waters. In other words, says Trump, the 2020 presidential election was rigged and stolen. It began a long time ago. They spied on my campaign. That is debatable to say the least. And tried to rig the 2016 election. In this instance, he spells it R-I-G-G. Just getting the point home that nobody is proofing these um, messages. Remember, our government is doing this, not a person or a party. Should we let someone who is elected by cheating and fraud stay in office and continue to destroy our country? Oh, I know. We need a new election. Okay, story number three. President Biden's been called out by fact-checkers, including factcheck.org, for making a dubious, a dubious statement about his uncle Frank. So he gave a speech to a bunch of Delaware veterans uh, about five days ago, 
And he said that his uncle, Frank Biden, got the Purple Heart, which was given to people who are wounded or killed in action. You know, I, my dad, when I got elected vice president, he said, Joey, Uncle Frank fought in the Battle of the Bulge. He was not feeling very well now, not because of the Battle of the Bulge, but he said, and he won the Purple Heart, and he never received it. He never got it. Do you think you could help him out? We'll uh, surprise him. So we got him the Purple Heart. He had won it in the Battle of the Bulge, and I remember I came over. The, he came over to the house, and I came out, and I said, present it to him, okay? We had the family there. I said, Uncle Frank, you won this, and I want to, and he said, I don't want the damn thing. No, I'm serious, he said. I don't want it. What's the matter, Uncle Frank? You've earned it. He said, yeah, but the others died. The others died. I lived. I don't want it. However, this is the fact check part. Frank Biden died in 1999 when Joe Biden was still a senator. He didn't become vice president until a decade later. Also, Biden's dad died in 2002 when his son was still in the Senate. So about that conversation. Whether Frank Biden actually got the Purple Heart is unknown. The registry is incomplete. Uh, if he, Uncle Frank had rejected the uh, award, that would not have been in the record. It's possible Biden misspoke and mixed up timeline. Yeah, I would say it's highly possible. And I would say he's got to explain that. I mean, you know, by itself, it's supposed to be a heartwarming family story. But on the other hand, you know, Biden has told a number of stories. And you can attribute this to his, advance, his advancing age. But I can remember him doing this, you know, when he was significantly younger. That didn't hold up to scrutiny. And they're often in these family yarns. Um, and it's funny, he talks about his uncle, he talks about his daddy, he doesn't really talk much about his mother, man. I'm sure she was a wonderful mother, but apparently she didn't say the kind of things like, uh, you know, Joey, a man needs some breathing space. And how he took the long walk home to say he lost his job. And look, I mean, it humanizes Biden, it's fine. I just think he needs, he needs to find some new anecdotes, not just repeat the same old ones, that have the additional virtue of being true. Okay, story number four. So when I was on uh, Media Buzz last week, I talked about, we led with actually, the Sam Bankman-Fried story. Now appears he actually has waived extradition and will be coming back to the U.S. within a couple of days. He wants to sort of face the music and, and get this proceeding over with rather than spend a long time in a Bahamanian jail trying not to come back to the United States. And I talked about how um, he got all this good press, and I won't give you the whole spiel, but um, he also gave money to media organizations. And on the show I said, don't these media outlets, which accepted the, these sums from the now indicted crypto king, who's been charged with running a complete scam, who was playing with other people's money. And so whatever the media people got, this was actually money that he allegedly stole from investors who were trying to get some semblance of their money back. They won't. They've lost billions cumulatively. So two new announcements, not suggesting cause and effect here, but it's about time they addressed it. According to Axios, ProPublica, which is a nonprofit investigative outlet, does a lot of good work, will return the $1.6 million in money it got from Sam Bankman-Fried's family foundation, according to a memo. Uh, family, he can have a family foundation because of, of all the money that his other companies shouldn't have had. 
the uh, president of ProPublica saying in a memo, uh, uh, we're returning the money because it does not seem appropriate to keep these funds. You think? The money will be moved to a separate account until it's decided by a bankruptcy judge or other legal authority where the money should be returned. The outlet has noted FTX's bankruptcy counsel, FTX was uh, SBF's firm, uh, about confirming uh, or returning the money. That 1.6 million grant was to be the first of three million. Uh, excuse me. That initial 1.6 million grant was to be the first of three payments, totaling five million over three years. Obviously, they're not getting the rest. Separately, CNN is reporting that Vox Media, the liberal outlet, received a $200,000 grant from the Bankman Freed Brothers. Uh, which looks at technological for an outfit that looks at technological innovation bottlenecks that hamper human progress. Um, A Vox Media spokesperson said $14,000 was suspended before the news broke about basically Bankman-Fried being accused of one of the greatest financial scams of all time. Project was put on hold and we intend to return the money. Oh, here is more since I was talking about it earlier. Um, Politico says the Biden administration was more than a year into negotiations with ByteDance. That's the Chinese company that created and owned TikTok about these national security concerns. In fact, White House staffers who organized and briefed TikTok creators, because, you know, they go to them. It's basically the most popular app on the planet. It has completely outpaced Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter, you name it. And it's a contradictory approach, according to this piece, because they like the app because it's got it's a way of reaching the public. It's unbelievably popular. I mean, it used to be kind of just limited to sort of, you know, younger teenage girls or teenagers of all kinds who would dance and do skits and everything. And now it's become everything. I mean, it is just... Um, a lot of it's more serious, a lot of it's more political. Um, so the piece puts it this way, interesting. TikTok has managed to remake American culture both low and high, from media and music to memes and celebrity in its own image. Extraordinary success is made even more remarkable by the fact that it's a product of America's greatest geopolitical rival. No Chinese company has ever conquered American society like TikTok. So Marco Rubio has a bill that would ban TikTok from operating in the U.S. Um, Biden administration is said to be nearing a deal. Um, so basically, you know, because here's the, here is the deal, which is if President Biden were to ban this, there would be a huge, huge uproar. And I'm not just talking teen girls here. You know, this thing has what, hundreds of millions of users who use it every day, who rely on it every day, and they will not be happy. On the other hand, if you can come up with some kind of uh, safeguards that will convince U.S. officials, remember Donald Trump wanted to do this, or said he wanted to do it, never got anywhere, Um, the idea that TikTok is considered a Trojan horse for Chinese influence or spying or both. Well, no country should allow that. So we'll see how the negotiations go and whether they can split the difference.
Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. All right, story number five. I deliberately put this at the end so as not to overload you with Twitter stuff. But Elon Musk said yesterday that he would resign as Twitter's chief executive when he found someone foolish enough to take the job. After that, I will just run the software and server teams. So, you know, look, it's a bit of a joke. Uh, He's brought in some engineers and executives from his other companies to manage Twitter in the meantime. Just on Sunday, he said, no one who wants the job can actually keep Twitter alive. So there was a lot of, you know, speculation and chatter after Musk put up that poll. And then he criticized the poll as having too many bots, uh, therefore suggesting, implying that it was illegitimate. He says that in the future, only people who are paying the 8 bucks a month or 11 bucks a month, depending on the deal, uh, who are verified will be able to participate in these polls. Um, in any event, he never indicated that he wouldn't step down as CEO. In fact, he always planned not to run this thing on a full-time basically because he's got Tesla and he's got SpaceX and he's got the Boring Company and he's got other companies. Um, in the meantime, New York Times reporting that on Friday night, Musk moved for more layoffs at Twitter. About 50 employees from the infrastructure division were cut. Which brings me to this uh, column by Jack Schaefer in Politico and maybe feeling like I've been really out there on the Musk story, which, you know, it's like talking about Trump. I mean, all these things are big. Is he going to continue with the company? Uh, is the company going to continue to suspend journalists? There are still a couple of journalists who, whose accounts have not been restored. And none of this has been good for Musk's reputation. Okay, Schaefer. In addition to being the world's second richest person, Elon Musk is now the greatest press manipulator since Donald Trump. Daily, often hourly, or minute by minute, Musk intercepts the news cycle and rides it like a clown on a barrel to the astonishment of all. Should he fall, he always gets back on and rides some more as the press corps records and transmits his every gyration. Given Musk's track record, uh, reporters should put little stock in what he says. Interesting argument. Instead, the press continues to chart and publish nearly every bold utterance he makes and every tweet he types into his account. And so he asks, why does the press keep falling for this circus act? And how can journalists correct their ways? So he goes through some of the history of stuff that Elon has just thrown out there, like a conspiracy theory totally debunked about the assault on Paul Pelosi, or did they know each other, and so forth. Uh, then he went after Apple, said it's opposed to free speech because they were going to kick Twitter off the App Store. Then he said he talked to the Apple CEO, and it's all been resolved, and that was never going to happen, just a misunderstanding. So uh, Schaefer wraps up by saying, having played, having been played to Musk's advantage so many times, you'd think reporters and editors would drop a few ice cubes in the hot news about Musk that he gins up every 15 minutes, you know, like prosecute Fauci, whatever. Um, but no, journalists continue to gulp down Musk's bait like undiscerning, bottom-feeding river carp. Ouch. At least when they covered Trump's every burp and fart <laughs> at great length on page one, reporters had an excuse. He held the semi-omnipotent powers of the presidency. The guy had nuclear weapons. 
uh, he could, with a word, he could turn industries upside down and divert military money to his wall. What does Musk have to compare to that? Just $163 billion in a world teeming with billionaires and a social media site that doesn't even rank in the top 10 of global users, but that is a focus point of obsession by the press corps, by journalists who are on it, including me. Um, you know, I, I, I think must being held accountable. I mean, when he banned a bunch of journalists, self-absorbed and self-interested as we are, it was a story that had his own allies turning on him. Uh, the fact that he's, you know, decimated the staff, I mean, is a legitimate question of, you know, Twitter may not be anywhere near the largest social media app, but I would say without a doubt it drives the most news, has the biggest impact on newsrooms, et cetera, et cetera. Um, very happy that podcasts also have a big audience or a growing audience. Seems like everybody has a podcast these days. I'll talk about that another time. So thanks for your time. Uh, you can subscribe at lots of different places. Hope you're already getting this. We're heading toward the end of the year. I'll give you my total number of downloads when I get the number, and I'll see you tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.